1: All right, welcome everyone back to another edition of New Books in Education on the New Books Network. This is your host, Ryan Allen, and I'm very excited today uh, to have on with me Dr. Leslie Grant, who is Assistant Professor of Education uh, at the School of Education the College of William... Welcome everyone back to another edition of New Books in Education on the New Books Network. This is your host, Ryan Allen, and I'm very excited today uh, to have on with me Dr. Leslie Grant, who is Assistant Professor of Education uh, at the School of Education the College of William and Mary. And we're going to be looking at her book called uh, West Meets East, Best Practices from Expert Teachers in the United States. And China. And this is from ASCD, and this was published in 2014. Uh, so I'm very excited to bring this on. I have an interest in, in, in China myself, and I think it's always interesting to sort of uh, uh, see these two education systems that you might think are very different, but then maybe be surprised to see uh, some of the similarities. So, uh, Dr. Grant, thank you for joining me today.
0: Well, thank you, Ryan. I'm just delighted uh, to be asked to talk about the book. It was certainly a, a, a long-term uh, and, and quite interesting project and something that my colleagues and I are, are, are deeply interested in, and that is uh, what are the beliefs and characteristics of teachers and do some of those beliefs and characteristics uh, cross the cultural divide, mm-hmm. Um between, uh, the United States and China. So we're delighted to, to share what we learned, uh, with folks through, uh, the publication of our book.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and one of the interesting factors of this book, I think is the, is the collaboration with, uh, yourself and the, uh, several other, uh, authors. And can you maybe talk about how that collaboration came together and, uh, sort of, uh, how, how this project came to
0: be? Sure. Sure. Well, um, you know, as you mentioned in the introduction, I'm an assistant professor at the College of William Mary, and Mary. And before that, uh, just to, to share, I was a, a middle school social studies teacher. So I, mm-hmm. I taught uh, middle school for about 10 years and then worked for the California Testing Bureau, CTB McGraw-Hill, developing state customized assessments. I continued that work um, in terms of curriculum alignment and looking at assessments um, but then when I was in my doctoral studies, um became very interested in what are those characteristics that make uh, good teachers good, so essentially effective teaching. And uh, during the time, and this was after I uh, completed my doctoral degree, um, we began, a, launched a study on expert teachers uh, in the United States, so teachers who had excuse me, won uh, national awards for their teaching in the United States. And this was a collaboration among myself, um, Dr. James Strong at the College of William & Mary, and uh, Dr. Catherine Little, who is a professor, associate professor at the University of Connecticut. And so we launched this study uh, looking at uh, great teachers in the United States. Then we had the great fortune of having a visiting scholar uh, from Uh, Yunnan Normal University in Kunming, uh, which is in the Yunnan province of China, uh, come and study with us for um, about four or five months. And uh, during that time, realized that we had similar interest in looking at what makes great teachers great. And so we launched uh, a cross-cultural comparative study uh, looking at teachers who, because the Ministry of Education also awards national awards for their teachers, And so uh, did some comparisons, of course, on effective frameworks of teaching across the U.S. and China. Uh, We refined our our research protocol, interview, and observation protocols that we used, um, and uh, then uh, launched a cross-cultural comparative study. Uh, During that time, also, we were engaged in a, a similar study with our colleague, Dr. Patricia Popp, who is... Um, head of our Project HOPE, which focuses on homeless education. We were interested in great teachers who work with at-risk and highly mobile students. Um, and so she entered the study as well. And then finally, uh, Dr. Uh, Shen chuan uh was a, um, a doctoral student at the College of William and & Mary. And, uh, and again, she was also interested in this topic, so she was involved as well. And so we just had uh, the great fortune, if you can imagine, uh, observing and interviewing teachers who have won national awards for their teaching. It's quite exciting. And so we were able to travel across the U.S. uh, in many different geographic locations, as well as some um, schools that were urban, suburban, and rural, uh, different levels of teaching, so elementary, middle, and high, uh, and the same in China. Uh, We were across the country in China in different provinces, um, elementary, middle, and high, different content areas, as well as some uh, that were right in the heart of a city and some schools that were out um, in the countryside. And so we there was a real purpose in getting this variation because uh, we used a sampling technique called Maximum Variation Sampling where when you have a small number of cases, if you use maximum variation sampling and you have something that bubbles up in terms of a commonality, well then there just might be something there. Um, and so, uh, so we were just uh, delighted to be able to, to carry through with the study. And it really did take uh, this team of folks uh, to pull the study together. As you can imagine coordinating um, and um, uh, planning for the visits uh, and then the follow-up in terms of uh, translating, and we used a, a technique called back translation to ensure that uh, we were both looking at the data in the same way.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and that is, I think uh, you guys highlight that nicely, that you're not just sort of, uh, you know, sometimes they say you do uh, research by convenience. You know, you're, you're in this one city, and, and you just go and see the, the teachers in that city, or you know someone in the school, so you just use that school. Uh, you, you do really get a nice diverse group of uh, teachers in both uh, the United States and in China. so that's really that's really refreshing. so when you when you set out to uh, to write this project or to work on this project, um, and it kind of came together who who were you kind of hoping that uh, would be reading this book or that would be interested in this book?
0: Sure. Well, what we've found um, certainly is that educators across the us, uh, are interested in what's happening in China where we're getting these really high PISA scores. Mm-hmm. Um, and certainly international comparisons are um, front-page news in the United States, where Shanghai, uh, the first year that Shanghai participated in PISA, they were number one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, and of course the comparisons of PISA, you know, you have cities in China compared To the whole uh, country of the United States. And so, educators, and and that means classroom teachers as well as those who um, work in in policy, are interested in in what's happening there. Um, How is their education um, system similar to or different from, and what can we learn from them? Uh, we know from uh, previous studies, such as the TIMS study, where they looked at, you know, how is mathematics approached differently. Where in the U.S. we focus more on procedural understanding, and in the East Asian countries that perform very well, they focus more on conceptual understanding of mathematics. So, folks are are interested in in how how is it that children are educated, and then in the in China, what's interesting is is there you know where we're moving more toward uh, in the U.S. Uh, you know, over the past uh, 20 years, a, a standardized assessment movement um, in China, even though it's in, ingrained in their culture since um, uh, those first imperial in, examinations um, many, many uh, centuries ago, um, that they're uh, thinking about and looking at how do we um, embed or, or encourage creativity, innovation, Um, And so getting really high PISA scores, but then how do we encourage students to, or develop um, that intellectual curiosity and that uh, capacity to develop something wholly new? Mm -hmm. Um, And so uh, China's interested in that. So here we are on two ends of a continuum, if you will. Um, in terms of a standardized assessment movement, which which China's educational system is firmly grounded in, in terms of high stakes testing and examinations, and we have the U.S. where we have you know the most number of patents of any country in the world. Um, in terms of uh, that, we we've, we've also been engaged in another study, which I'll talk about later, looking at cultural dimensions and patents and economic productivity, and uh, so here we have. You know, a country that that has, uh, you know, where you you, you do have uh, innovation and creativity, um, and so China is looking at that and what we can do, in or what they can do in China to foster that in their educational system. And so, I, educators both in the classroom, classroom teachers, have been highly interested in our study, as well as those who are looking at. Um, uh, policy and uh, folks who are also studying this issue in higher education.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think it is when when you just go through it, almost like it, when you are reading it, um, just you can see that these best practices and, and maybe you can, can give people some sort of guidance if they're sort of looking for something, even just in their classroom. You know, I, I teach um, at, a, at a small university, so I was thinking, oh, you know, can I even – Incorporate, or do I do something similar to this? I kept find myself uh, uh, going back to that mindset as well. So, yeah, I think it's a, a wide range of interests for, for people interested in education policy uh, and cross cultural studies, certainly, and, and China, obviously. Um, so let's go ahead and maybe get into uh, so some of the, the meat of the book. Kind uh, of already talked about the the introduction, but you kind of lay it out. Chapter two. Um, we get into uh, teachers' personal uh, qualities and sort of the relationship with, with students. Uh, what, what was interesting that, that you found in, in that chapter? And, and maybe are there any similarities or what are the main differences? Can you kind of get into that?
0: Absolutely. Well, um, interestingly, and we had you know, some uh, findings that were surprising to us <clears throat> in our study, um, and interestingly, uh, the relationships with students was a very strong similarity mm-hmm. uh, between teachers in the U.S. and China, where they valued uh, their relationships with, with their students and saw their relationships as necessary to help kids learn. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's where the affective crossed or, or overlapped with the academic. Um, and we we actually even observed that. Um, when we were um, observing in, in different countries. And when I would be in a classroom in China, and, and I do not speak Chinese, we had a translator mm-hmm. who, who speaks uh, Mandarin with us. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and as you know, you can walk into a classroom without knowing the language and get a feel for the climate mm-hmm. of the relationship between the teachers and the students. And I can remember in one uh, teacher, he was teaching uh, physics, uh, ninth grade, and, um, you know, as the kids were coming in, he was greeting them, he was, uh, you know, putting his hand on their shoulder and asking, you know, uh, talking with them, how are they doing, mm-hmm. um, and they were responding very positively. And, and you just can't fake something like that, that just can't be, you know, a show that's put on for one day uh that very positive relationships with their students. Um and that was a theme that ran across US teachers as well as across uh teachers in China. Uh, but there was a bit of a difference in terms of the relationship in that with uh teachers in the US um, it was that um you know I'm I'm a teacher uh this is uh it's important to have a relationship with my student Um, And so it is important that I get to know him or her um, on their level, what do they like to do, Uh, what are they interested in, so that I can then incorporate that into my lesson. So a child's interested in soccer, well, let's find the area and perimeter of a soccer field. You know, so things like that to integrate into their instruction. Whereas uh, the teachers in China talked more uh, about their students as family. Mm Such as, uh, he's my son. I love him like my, love her like my daughter. Um, I'm their mother. I'm their brother. I'm their sister. Um, and so used more familial terms, uh, to describe their relationships with their students. It's not to say we had U.S. teachers who said that they love their children, but very few do describe their relationships in terms of a family type of relationship. Whereas in China, uh, they they certainly did. Um, and so that was a bit of a difference in terms of the relationship with their students. But both uh, really saw their relationship. And again, we had that confirmed uh, when we were in there observing their teaching.
1: Mm-hmm. Very good. Very good. And, and, you know, maybe that helps us uh, break the mold, if, if you will, for sort of a stereotype of maybe uh, like the Chinese teacher is this sort of uh robotic automaton who, right yeah so, not at
0: all i mean we i can't i can't imagine any <clears throat> any teacher that we observed uh was in that way
1: mm-hmm. absolutely and so yeah okay that's yeah that's very uh very good to to see on paper as well um okay so how, how about um something that's i know a uh, sort of a hot button issue in the united states um, but go, going right along looking at uh assessment and, and how teachers sort of uh assess themselves and then also you you know talk about planning in, in that lesson as well uh what what were um what were some interesting findings from from this category uh
0: from the planning category in yeah. terms of yeah so planning uh was was really quite interesting um in in the U.S., uh, many teachers talked about how that they, um, you know, the process that they go through in planning instruction where you, you know, you look at your standards, you look at curriculum materials, and you plan. But the process might have been slightly different. In mm-hmm. fact, we had a few teachers who said, you know, I really don't uh, plan very specifically, um, and I allow for a lot of flexibility. Mm-hmm. But in China we had, um, there was, and and this is a theme that honestly emerged across the categories where if you can imagine such a large country with such an incredible population that we saw great um, commonality across China teachers across the country, more commonality than we saw across U.S. teachers Mm -hmm. across the United States. So when we would, uh, talk about planning. Most of the teachers talked about uh, approaching planning in terms of what are the key knowledge points that kids needed to know, those enduring understandings. What were the key difficult points mm-hmm. that um, kids would encounter and how do I plan my lesson so that indeed um, I'm going to anticipate what are the troubling areas that kids might have. Right um and so that uh, you know it was interesting to hear these three key points uh talked about across china uh you know we were in many different provinces uh and in the countryside but this was obviously something that was uh stressed perhaps in their uh, preparation um as well as in professional development um Versus in the U.S., it was more varied in terms of how the teachers go about planning. Now, all of them talked about, of course, standards and needing Mm -hmm. to adhere to that. Um, But, again, um, it it was interesting, that commonality across China teachers. And with the assessment piece, um, and how do you use, you know, one of the big um, uh, pushes in in education today, of course, is is using assessments to drive your instruction, Mm -hmm. to uh, plan and uh, adjust instruction according to student needs, whereas um, U.S. teachers, uh, some talked about assessing students and then using that in their planning, so how is it that students performed on this assessment, whether it's a you know, regular quiz or, or test or even uh, something like what we call an exit card where you give students a problem to do before they leave class and you look at that and think, what am I going to do differently tomorrow? where they adjusted their lessons based on what we might call pre-assessment data, which is or diagnostic kind of data. You know, where are kids right now and what do they need? Whereas in China, there wasn't really the pre-assessment or diagnostic. It was over the courses of the years as a teacher, where do I know that kids are typically going to struggle? Not necessarily where are my kids within my classroom right now and how are they performing according to... Uh, what we're going to be learning, and so that was a difference in terms of using mm-hmm. assessment um, in order to drive instruction.
1: Right, and and you kind of uh, mentioned a little bit sort of different systems: so one central, one one decentralized. Yes, uh, was was there any concern? You know, because I think when you when you asked the the teachers, most of the Americans teachers said that they had uh, they were afforded a lot of creativity when coming up with these lessons. Um I'm just curious if if they felt there was any sort of outside pressure to to sort of change that a little bit. I know that's a little bit off but uh just yeah. when we're talking it seems like maybe maybe it might have came. Sure.
0: Absolutely. I think um and and certainly we know that one of the unintended consequences of standardized assessment and uh the standardized uh, or the standards based um reform efforts over the past 20 or so years um is that teachers have felt that um and hampered their creativity, mm-hmm. but what I will say is, these great teachers um, do not do not necessarily see standards as impacting necessarily how they go about teaching. So the standards, uh, of course, um, lay out what it is that kids should know and be able to do, but not necessarily how. Me as a teacher, how I need to teach in my classroom. So uh, they uh, certainly used creative ways to um, to address different topics. For example, one U.S. teacher um, was using uh, fantasy football to teach statistics. Mm. So That's you know, great. we think <laughs> about that in terms of a you know creative use, something of high interest to kids, and you're getting at uh, key knowledge and skills that are contained in the standard. So, um, you know, these great teachers in the US certainly found ways to um, incorporate uh, uh, creativity and, and and high interest, high engaging um, activities into the classroom.
1: Absolutely. And, and that feeds right into, I think, the, the next uh, section of the book very nicely. You know, the, what what are the, you know, these teachers do get awards, they don't, they're, they're, they are great, but what are they doing uh, in the classroom? Uh, wh- why are they exceptional? Uh, what, did you find, what did you find that just along the lines every, every teacher was doing this, and that maybe uh, just uh, some other differences as well?
0: Sure. Well, of course, one of the differences, when we went in and inter- or we observed the teachers, uh, we had a protocol that we used where we collected data. Mm-hmm. And we collected data on the different instructional activities that they were using in the classroom, we also collected data on the, uh, cognitive levels of those various activities. So are they working at lower cognitive levels or higher cognitive levels? Um, and, and those are actually more defined than lower and higher. Um, and then we also looked at, uh, the engagement of the students. And so one commonality that emerged was that, um, These teachers used uh, about eight to nine different instructional Mm -hmm. activities during a lesson. Now, those eight or nine were different between the U.S. and China. But the key is that they used different instructional activities. And what that means is that there wasn't where a teacher was getting up and just lecturing for the entire time. Mm -hmm. That might lecture, especially in China. Uh, Might give a short lecture, then kids are working on something independently. Then they might be working on something as a group. Then I'm going to call them back together for question and answer, um, and those types of things. And so, uh, both sets of teachers used varied instructional activities, uh, and certainly, I think that led to uh, that that impacts engagement. In addition, uh, we found the range of cognitive levels, and that was a similarity where. Um, you know, uh, at various times, students, um, of course, having to recall, uh, working on understanding concepts, application of skills, and then an- analysis. And across both teachers, we found less of uh, evaluation and create, which is uh, which is common. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you see that certainly across other studies as well. Um, and then a- another similarity was uh, that in in all teachers' classrooms, there was extremely high engagement. Mm. Um, and so how we measured that now, of course, it's more of like a time on task or, you know, on task kind of behaviors. And so we would scan the room and look to see, were there any off task behaviors? And we calculate a percentage. Um, and certainly, you know, a student can be looking at the teacher and nodding and be off task, but we can't be in their head at the time. Visually, it, it looks as though they are on task. Um, and so, Across all the teachers, we have very high engagement. Now, you might say, well, you know, that makes sense in China. And that's true because uh, it is, you know, we uh, one finding that we came out of this with is, you know, in, in the U.S., uh, teachers are expected to engage their students. When we talk about what can you do as a teacher, and I taught in teacher preparation program as well, and now I teach in ed leadership, educational leadership What can you do to engage your students? And that's something that we talk about frequently when working with our student teachers as well as uh, teachers in the classroom right now. In China, it is the student's responsibility to be engaged. Okay. And so it's just a different dynamic. And so, yes, I would have expected in China that uh, kids would be engaged because that is an expectation of them culturally, that they go in to learn, um, that they respect their teachers, um, and we saw that. Now, we did see just a, a few in- instances of off-task behavior, but certainly um, it was high engagement across. Okay. Uh, but also in, in U.S., it was very high engagement, where it is the teacher's responsibility to engage. Right. Uh, so so we saw that across both.
1: Okay. Yeah, and again, I think uh, maybe again shattering the, the stereotypes of, of the Chinese teacher just standing up there and lecturing, and pounding it in in the student's head. You know, we, we can see that there's some, there's another way, or there's there's something more to to the system than that simple uh, stereotype, which you know I think is great.
0: Yeah, and I can give you a couple of examples sure. actually in China where we were in a first grade classroom, and if you can imagine, I, I think there were about forty six. Yeah, six year olds <laughs> in the <a> classroom. <laughs> and um, and I think we wrote about this in the book mm-hmm. and uh, and the teacher, uh, we went on a field trip right, and right. took the 46 uh, first graders uh, around the corner, and walked over to the market. Each of them had five yen uh, to spend. Mm-hmm. And so they went to the market and they uh, picked out what they were going to purchase and they purchased it. They had to save their receipt. Uh, and then they came back to the classroom, and it was really looking at Chinese language and uh, when you're buying things in a store and going to the market. So really a, an authentic yeah. learning experience for children. Right, so, right. Um, you know, great example. Another one was, uh, you know, a physics teacher who had kids engaged in experiments uh, to see lift, um, how that occurs. And so they were in small groups. They had um, lab Uh, equipment with them, and they uh, had made these uh, planes out of paper, and they were exploring this concept of lift. Mm -hmm. So, again, it's not the teacher standing up in front of the kids lecturing the entire time. I don't think when the teachers that I observed in China, that just didn't happen. Now they would give short bursts of lecture, so a five to ten minute, and then move on to a small group activity or what have you. Uh, But that's a similar way
1: that U.S. teachers do it as well. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, it, it, you, you talk about quite a bit throughout the book, and you highlighted, I think, with the lessons, but, you know, the numbers of students that are in the classes. Yes. You know, I think, one, you mentioned 50. You just mentioned about 46. You know, if, if you know, that's one of the biggest complaints I think teachers in America have is that their classrooms are being bloated, and there's no way to sort of... Um, be able to teach these, but in the reality in China is that they, you know they have to do this just you know with the sheer numbers, uh, which is incredible. Especially and there's some great lessons that that maybe can be learned and can be shared with our you know American teachers over here as well.
0: Absolutely, um, and it's interesting I, when I present in front of groups, I have a picture of a of a first grade classroom in the U.S. side by side with a first grade classroom in China. Mm-hmm. And the the difference is vast, Um, just in terms of, you know, you have tables and chairs and colorful carpets and all that in the U.S., whereas in China it was rows um, and small stools um, Mm. that the children sat on. Um, And so certainly the size is important. Now, I think that if you're a good teacher with 40 students, you can probably be an even greater teacher with Mm. 25. Right. Um, However... Um, you know, one of the things that, that has come out in research of the years in the U.S. is that um, reducing class size is not necessarily going to improve student achievement, that uh, it is the teacher that the child happens to get. Yeah. Because you can be a really great teacher with 25 or 15, but if you're a poor teacher, you're going to be a poor teacher with 25 or 15. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, again, um, you know, when you get into the numbers of 40s and 50s, that certainly can impact your ability to work one on one with students. Uh, but certainly, how they have managed that is, is uh, something of interest.
1: Right. And I think that's one of the things that you, you found that were different, where the teachers were more, the American teachers were more uh, uh, opted to work one on one at times, whereas yes. maybe that's not a reality with, with the China based.
0: Yeah, one of the things that we coded was teacher working with individual students, and so we saw more of that um, in the U.S., and most likely because they they just could, Mm -hmm. Uh, whereas uh, China teachers would go around and work, talk with groups of students, which that makes sense considering the number that you have. Um, And so, yes, you did see more one-on-one discussion uh, in the U.S.
1: Okay. Uh, Well, I guess, again, all of these things are very uh, connected but talking about sort of uh, management style of, of the classroom, uh, I think this is you know again it, it all of these things we we can learn some lessons from so what were what were some of the the differences that that you saw and maybe even like with some of the you know the disciplinary actions and like what what what'd you guys do you guys find?
0: Well, you know when we asked the question about classroom management, we gotta um, and how you you know organize the classroom and things like that we actually Got a lot more um, discussion from U.S. teachers than China teachers. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just not something that necessarily they are con- necessarily that these teachers were concerned about. Mm-hmm. Um, they did talk about how they might use the physical space, but you have to remember they're limited um, in terms of the numbers of students mm-hmm. and how to set up the classroom. Um, in addition, uh, whereas in the U S, um, I might have my classroom and this is where my kids come, um, in China, it would more be the teacher that would move. Mm -hmm. Um, and so their classroom, it wasn't their classroom. Mm -hmm. And so they had to come in, you know, into a classroom where the kids are and, and to teach. And so, um, you know, they talked about how that, you know, it is, uh, the students, um, that, um, they expect them to uh, pay attention and to learn, um, and that it is the students. Um, indeed, one teacher shared with us: "It's the students' moral responsibility." Mm-hmm. Um, and so, that's really a different way of looking um, at at classroom right. management. Um, and 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 again, it is that was an issue that that clearly uh, culture uh, impacts in terms of classroom management.
1: Mm-hmm. Very, very good. What were uh, some of the lessons then from maybe the American teachers that, that you thought were sort of interesting or innovative? Uh, I know you had a, a couple that you listed.
0: Yeah. So with U.S. teachers, uh, they certainly um, would, um, kind of like with teachers, a person get to know their students and build relationships, and that was important uh, in terms of classroom management. Um, and, of course, they um, one teacher actually um, – when the kids came in to the room, the room was completely blank. There was nothing on the walls. Mm-hmm. It was bare. Yep. And he told them, this is your room. Right. This is your room. And you're going to help to create this room. Now, the, you know, that's just amazing and, and actually quite innovative in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Typically when kids come in, it's all decorated. Right. They've got their names on their desks. Yep. You know, the teacher has taken care, taken the whole thing. But this teacher, trying to build a sense of community, mm-hmm. which impacts management, um, said, "This is your room. This is our room, and we're going to create it together." Absolutely. Which was quite an innovative approach, and it and it really worked for him.
1: Okay, yeah, very very okay. nice. And you kind of close this chapter and open the next chapter with this nice uh, nice little Chinese poem, or this, this uh, at least you know one sentence from this poem. Uh, the Spring Rain Moistens Things Silently. Yes. And uh, I think it's a, a nice, lovely, um, uh, a li- little kind of a metaphor for teaching, at least the way you use it. Um, can you kind of talk about uh, your uh, your uh, lessons learned and, and what uh, sort of this, this impact from this study will have? Um, and And just for for the listeners the the metaphor is talking about uh, how teaching um, can really change things uh, but very sort of delicately and uh, sort of influences students uh, much more slowly than, than maybe you might uh, might expect
0: Yes, um, this was quite an interesting metaphor, and one of the questions we asked all teachers that we interviewed was to uh, uh, create a metaphor, uh, that, um, uh, explains how they think about teaching and, and, uh, being a teacher. And this was quite illuminating. Um, as we know, metaphors can really help us to understand how folks are thinking about things. And, um, this metaphor was really about that. And, and as you indicated, the spring rain moistens things silently, that education, um, it really was, a. a um, an element of being, mm-hmm. it wasn't that you just go to school and all of a sudden you're being educated, mm-hmm. that, um, it, it, permeates every part of our lives. And so for that reason, we come to it, um, ready to kind of, uh, soak it up okay. and be ready to engage in it. Um, and so every aspect of the day is about learning. Um, and indeed, you know, with kids, um, in China and in some of the areas in the countryside, the kids actually lived um at the school uh because they lived so far away from the school. Um and so learning occurred all throughout the day and into the evening um and was a part of just what they did. Um, that it was um that really learning is a virtue. Mm-hmm. Um and that's how it was approached that learning is a virtue. In addition, um, in the front of the book in the um acknowledgments uh we have this picture of um a flower that's endemic to China called winter sweet. Mm-hmm. Um, and a, a middle school uh, math teacher um, had prepared, when she would prepare work to pass out to her students, uh, she always had a picture of this flower on the front. Um, and she said um, that the flower blooms in winter. And in Chinese culture, it's a symbol of bravery, integrity, and perseverance. Mm-hmm. And she said it communicates that teachers have high expectations for their students. That, they, that you're going to have challenges, but you can beat that challenge and bloom even in the wintertime. Mm-hmm. Um, and so really uh, looking at uh, learning, again, as a virtue, uh, something to be applauded and celebrated, um, and, uh, the, again, the responsibility of the student.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I love uh, at the, you know, one of the last sort of figures or charts that you have in the book, just lays out all of the different characteristics and sort of what are the similarities and then what are the differences between, uh, between Chinese and American teachers or at least these, these American teachers. So I think it's uh, a really great, uh, maybe a visual to everyone just to kind of look And So I, I suggest the readers to go check that out for sure. Um, one of the things you, you guys do include is this um, cultural context uh, sure. section as well. Can you kind of talk about what you found through there and uh, why you guys use that, um, why you guys use this in in the book? You know, for instance, um, uh, you know, collectivism versus individuality, uh, masculine uh, versus feminine, uh, uncertainty avoidance, avoidance and uh, sort of long-term orientation. Um, Can you kind of uh, talk about, you know, what what that meant and and sort of how that related to this then?
0: Sure well you know when um, when we think about and, and when countries are compared in terms of peace of studies a question that's always asked as well or a comment that's typically made as well the culture is different mm. um, well do you know does that really impact uh, what happens in, in terms of education I think intuitively we, we know that it does but we um, with a, a another colleague from South China Normal University we've been conducting Uh, some research with the PISA studies, and looking at the impact of culture on um, how students are performing across countries. And uh, so this initial study was uh, really just a a correlation, a simple correlation, and we've we've been working on a more robust statistical analysis as of late, um, and so are working on writing that up right now. But looking at... um, And these are the cultural dimensions that you mentioned are from Geert Hofstede, um, um, and and he developed these cultural dimensions, and they've been researched uh, quite extensively. And looking at, um, you know, if we look at math, um, science, et cetera, those PISA scores, do we see a correlation with with countries that have um, high uh, long-term orientation or avoiding of, of uncertainty, that kind of thing? Right. And, and certainly you can read more about those dimensions um, in the book or, or from uh, the Hofstede Center. And what we found was that um, of all the cultural dimensions, the one that seems to bubble up as being um, most highly correlated and in our latest study most uh, signific- significantly predictive of student achievement is long-term orientation.
1: Mm-hmm. Interesting.
0: So what that means is that, um, and and it makes sense if you look at the the countries that have the highest long-term orientation cultural value, um, it is the East Asian countries that I'm engaged um, in this learning. Learning is a virtue. Uh, I persevere, and there will be a long-term benefit, something later on down the road. Mm-hmm. Uh, versus in other countries where there's a short-term orientation. And the U.S. Uh, has a shorter-term orientation in terms of, and you think about that, you know, um, uh, in our uh, corporations, uh, the boards want to see a, a quick return. Um, we want to see our companies do well uh, quickly. Uh, the same in education. We want to see improvement in student achievement in a year. Uh, you know, where a principal will come into a school that's not been doing well, and they're given a year to turn it around. Mm-hmm. And that's short-term orientation, that right. we want to see results, and we want to see it now. Right. Um, and versus long-term orientation, that, that eventually we'll get there, um, and that uh, we need to look for what's the value of what we're doing right now. How can we persevere and make it through to that next uh, that next stage in our learning? Um, and so that was an interesting difference and could, in fact, be explanatory of some of the, mm-hmm. uh, differences that we found, uh, among teachers, uh, especially in terms of, um, that classroom management piece sure. and students responsibility being engaged and, and that kind of thing.
1: Absolutely. Well, that's, and, and you also, you know, beyond that, you sort of get into Confucian values, Western values, which I think is, okay. is interesting. Um, To to uh, this book as well. Um, But is is there any uh, sort of uh, final thought or or uh, takeaway that you want to share with with our listeners from from the book?
0: I think that a lot of times we're dismissive of what uh, folks in in other countries are doing. Mm -hmm. And I I think that that's we need to be cautious about that Mm -hmm. Um, because education is education. Um, and even though that educational systems operate within within cultures uh that there are some things that cross the cultural divide and i and i think that um, we need to be open um, in the US uh to uh strategies that are being used in classrooms in other countries and how that they could um, help inform uh what we're doing with our students as well Um, And so I I think a big takeaway is that I saw some great lessons in China Mm. and I saw some great lessons in the U S and uh, teachers who are highly committed to their work. uh, Sure that they may have been approached differently. And that approach is something that we can learn from. And one example I would give you is how we engage in in professional development. Um, In the U S it's where, you know, uh, this week, for example, um, in some areas, uh, teachers are back, but kids aren't. Mm-hmm. And this is a week for PD, for professional development. And then kids come and we go on our merry way. We've got done our day of professional development. We check off that box. In China, it was more integrated into their daily work mm-hmm. where they, um, you know, engage in, um, most folks probably have heard of lesson study where they create a lesson together. They go and observe one another. Then they talk about it. So it's really embedded in their daily practice rather than a day where we go and we hear somebody talk or listen to some new strategy. And then once kids come, we get so busy. And we might have thought, yeah, that's something interesting I might like to do. Right. But kids come and it's just, you know, you just get busy. Absolutely. So, so again, I think that um, we need to be open and to learn uh, from others um, and think about how that we can uh, continue – Uh, to address the needs of of students within the U.S., Um, and, again, um, also in China, interested in addressing the needs of their students by looking at how others are approaching education. And I think looking not only at educational systems broadly, but getting down into what is actually happening in the classroom, and I think that's what this book did, Mm. is... You know, when we talk about differences in educational systems, differences in cultures, but when you really get down and you sit in classrooms, um, you know, that there is a lot of, of, of a common approach, but certainly things that we can learn from one another in Absolutely. approaching uh, education.
1: Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, uh, I know you—you you know, this book is, is fresh off the presses and, and probably still on your mind, and, and you mentioned some of the stuff coming up, but uh, what do you got next uh, on, on your plate?
0: Well, um, quite busy. We're—I'll actually be, <clears throat> excuse me, heading to um, to Taipei in China oh, here in about a week, um, and uh, working with teachers, and then um, lecturing at a university on some of our work, um, and then also um, engaging in a, a project where we have uh, some pre-service teachers coming over from uh, Shanghai, mm-hmm. um, and I'll be working with some folks in Michigan. Um, And we're going to have a day of of pre-service teachers of U.S. and and China pre-service teachers working together and and discussing approaches to lessons and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, But in terms of research, uh, we're continuing our work and actually interested in um, approaching, um, educating students who um, may be at risk or um, come from populations that are not performing as well. China is very interested in their um, minority population. Yeah. Uh, they have uh, a, wide, you know, a vast number of ethnic minorities mm-hmm. um, who may live right on the border of China. Um, and so they're highly interested in how we approach their needs. Um, mm-hmm. And so we're going to be engaging with continued study in um, great teachers who work with students who uh, are from these ethnic minorities and what is it that they do. Uh, with these students. So this will be a continued collaboration uh, between uh, College of William & Mary and UNAM Normal University.
1: Yeah, okay. That's yeah, we'll, we'll definitely be looking forward to that. It you know, sounds like it's uh, all very interested and, and quite connected to, to what you uh, have written out here. Um, so, all right, thank you to, to all my listeners. Uh, well, thank you, Dr. Leslie Grant. And uh, uh, please go check out uh, West Meets East. Best practices from uh, expert teachers in the United States and China, uh, and uh, so that that'll be it. And go uh, follow us on uh, Twitter at uh, newbooksedu. Uh, uh, Dr. Grant, do you have a a, a Twitter that you would that like to plug here?
0: Or? No, I I haven't gotten on that quite yet, so I, I don't have a Twitter account. All right.
1: That's- well, th- that's all right uh, for all our listeners. Uh, I hope you learned something. Thank you.